Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is on command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a fright. Welcome to the greatest Welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the king of horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this episode of the show where tonight we're going to be talking about the Ghoul Geek Keats film pick of the week, The Purge, election year from 2016, directed by James DeMonico. But I have to let you guys know, this is going to be an old school episode. Uh, many of you who are old school listeners, maybe you're new listeners, but back when the Ghoul and I first started Talking Terror, it was just him and I. And we would talk about three, maybe four movies per episode, wearing ourselves thin with a lot of these or movies. 12. <laughs> or 12. Or uh, 12. As the early episodes, we did like 13 ep- uh, movies per episode. It was insane. Uh, now we have a great format where we just talk about one, and then we bullshit, and then we just have fun with it. So tonight's going to be old school because Dean is, is doing his own podcast, I'm sure, somewhere called It's Dean, The Life and Times of a School Teacher, you know, on Wednesday nights, and he can't be a part of tonight's episode. And then, of course, the monkey is celebrating the David's birthday. So he can't be here. So you just, you're stuck with the ghoul and I. So we're going to fuck around. We're going to find out. We're going to have fun. So as you heard him before, the bold and the beautiful, the ghoul geek Keith is here, people. Hello. Welcome to the Purge. Uh, what is going on, everybody? Uh, welcome uh, to, to, to talking terror. Uh, and, yes, as, as the king Intimated, it is a classic style episode uh, in which it is just the king and I. Uh, I get to play Eliza. He gets to play the king of Siam. And, and, and here Ooh. we are. I'm going to, uh, to, to teach him refinery and ballroom dancing. I hope so, because the king of Siam I am. So that would be a lot of fun to learn ballroom dancing and everything else in the world of being a king. So, yeah, just us. So we're just going to have some fun. I do have some horror news to talk about uh, later on in the episode, but we're going to, I guess, kick things off with something that uh, debuted trailer-wise uh, not that long ago called Violent Night, uh, which stars David Harbour as Santa Claus. Uh, it's a home invasion story where Santa Claus, the actual Santa Claus, has to face off against mercenaries looking to get a bunch of money from a rich family. I uh, want to talk about the trailer first and foremost. So, Ghoul, you did watch it. What did you think? I mean, my first thought is this. Who the hell keeps $300 million in a safe in their house somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I don't care how rich yeah. you are. I mean, that's, that's an exorbitant <laughs> amount of money to, like, have, like, in, in your safe. So, like, I have, for, for some reason, I don't know, call me suspicious, but, like, if, you know, if you ever feel like trailers are telling you too much, that just screams of an inside job somewhere. Um but, uh, but no, aside from that, I think it looks like a, a, a very fun, R-rated, holiday-style film, you know? And, uh, and, and, and I'm always up for those, you know? Like, I, I am one who believes that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So, so give it me is. another R, R-rated-style action film. Um, it's, you know, starring Hopper from Stranger Things. 
You know, I'm, uh, he, he's one of those actors, it always puts a smile on my face, seeing him, you know, obviously I like him as Hopper as Stranger Things, you know, he's, he's in the Black uh, Widow movie, um, playing the, the, the Russian mm-hmm. version of Captain America, uh, he's a lot of fun in those, I am, you know, like, he feels like he's on that trajectory, like he's one film role away from playing, like, the major villain in something, though, too, and that is kind of what I'm looking forward to, because I do want to see what happens when, when Harbor and get, like, gets a little bit of darkness in him. Like, he plays this, like, I'm a gruff, but, like, have that Tootsie Roll soft center kind of heart-looking guy. I want to see an angry, mean, cold David Harbour in something already. Yeah, I think you have to wait until Stranger Things ends for that to happen. I think give it like another year or two, you might see that. Because I think he's still trying to play off a of Hopper, who's a good guy, and everybody loves him. So, you know, he's playing these good guy characters that you want to root for. Um, I haven't seen Black Widow, but I'm assuming he's a good guy, like you said, the form of Captain America from Russia. And I think it's going to be in Thunderbolts too, isn't he? I think his character is going to show uh, up in that. Yeah, most likely. I, it, it would make sense uh, considering who they're, who they're thinking of assembling. And, yeah, why, why wouldn't they use him again, you know? Uh, yeah, you got yeah. Florence Pugh coming back in that as well as, as uh, I think, Yelena was the, was the character's name. Uh, I don't remember. It's mm-hmm. probably out of all the Marvel movies, it, it goes down there with, like, Thor The Dark World. And so, like, I have not watched it <laughs> in, in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, but and I when I first saw the trailer, I was like, this seems like an SNL sketch. Like, it seems like something that will be on SNL, where Santa has to face off against thieves in the house. Uh, but David Harbour sells it, you know, especially the, the kills that you see in the movie that he's going to do. But then most importantly, you got John Leguizamo playing the head villain. I was like, yes, I fucking love Leguizamo. So, of course, I'm on board when he shows up as, like, the head of the mercenaries. I love everything that he yeah. does. Like, he just, he's just, him, yeah, dude. yeah. I'm a fan of Leguizamo as well. Um, you know, I I find him to be odd. Uh, I've always all right. So so you know, he's one of those comedians in which, like, when you watch his 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 comedy specials, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's not necessarily like the ha 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 ha. I'm so f- laughing. I'm laughing so hard because you're telling these these fantastic jokes. No, his specials are great because they're they're snapshots into like yeah. his his life. You know, he might be mm-hmm. exaggerating things a little bit. You know, maybe maybe he's blowing it up a little bit bigger than than it was, but it's it's done from a position in which he was seeing it that way. It's only bigger because that was his perception of it. So you know when he's up there and he's talking about some of the, you know, so some of the stuff that might feel a little, you know, make, make you a little uncomfortable when he's talking about some of the abuse shit and, and, and some of the mm-hmm. parental crap that, that went on in his life. It's like, you know, you're able to laugh about it because at least he's able to, like, throw that little uncomfortable, like, <laughs> laugh that he puts out with it. But at the same time, too, you know that's his way of, like, bearing his soul and getting these things out of him so that they're not destroying him. And, you know, I, I always mm-hmm. appreciate comedians that, that do that because that's just it, – it's an amazing talent and all the more amazing that they, they are able to – explain these things in a way that, that at least gets it out there and is still compelling for us as an audience. Oh, I completely agree. And it's like we, you and I have talked about with the show. 
with Talking Terror, how we talk about our childhoods and growing up, and it wasn't great. I mean, I definitely didn't have a great childhood, but I can laugh about some of the things I went through because that's how I process it. Like, you have to laugh. Otherwise, you're just going to be gutted on the inside about some of the things that you went through as a kid. You know, you yeah, just like, have to like, humor like, to it. Like my circumcision, <laughs> you know. I mean, you can't. Yeah, know. Like your, your <laughs> rhinoceros <laughs> penis. <laughs> you know, you have to laugh because otherwise you'll be rocking back and forth in the corner going, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, for the rest <laughs> of your life. Yeah, God damn it. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, you have to laugh at, at the trauma. Otherwise, it becomes actual trauma that you have to deal with. So, like Rosamo putting humor to that, I got it. Like, when he did his first special, I think it was, like, Freak or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I can relate <laughs> to a lot of the stuff, like being hit with a sandal. And you're like, oh, God. Like, it's like, yeah, it's funny now, but back then, it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, 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 yeah, my, uh-huh. My, my mom would definitely be a wondrous source of, uh, of pain <laughs> yeah. and comedy. If, uh, yeah, if one of these days. They get real crazy when they want to be. Talking about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a word yeah. for it, all right. I got, I got some <laughs> yeah, words. That's what I said. Yeah, crazy. That, that, that <laughs> works yeah. for now. But, yeah. So, but, anyway, so, yeah, Violent Night uh, comes out on December 3rd. I'm definitely planning on going to see it. And uh, <clears throat> a fan of the show, T.A., who listens a lot, uh, he just is back from hip uh, surgery, so – well, speedy oh, recovery, man. sir. Uh, he plans on going to see it uh, when it comes out. I plan on going to see it, so we're going to do a little mini review to each other and talk to each other about whether we liked it or not. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, again, you know, well wishes to TA. I mean, he's a big supporter of the show, loves it. So really wishing him a, a recovery and can't wait to talk oh, about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Did, did not know he was going through that, man. Yeah, quick recoveries, bro. Uh, I definitely yeah, feel, feel your pain with, with that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's a bummer. Yeah, he messaged me uh, randomly the other day talking about Violent Night. He's like, are you going to go see it? I was like, fuck yeah, I am. And he's like, me too. We should talk about it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that because it looks a lot of fun. You know, just the trailers alone, although they did show a little bit too much, I think, you know, with the trailer, where they showed a lot of the violence. So I was like, ah, save some of that for the movie. Like, I want to be surprised. But they showed a lot of stuff just for a first yeah, trailer, yeah. you know, with Sam. I, I mean, you, you know my feelings on that, man. It's a, they, they kill me with a lot of these trailers these days. They just, they, they hit you with like three or four of them. They're definitely showing way too many uh, of the, you know, the money shot sequences. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it downright pisses me off sometimes. Yeah, because you see too much. And then you go into the movie, you're like, I can't wait to see this movie. And it's like, but I saw that trailer. Like, they don't offer you anything different from the trailer, and you kind of walk out being disappointed. So I get it. You know, I mean, I'm a fan of trailers, but at the same time, I kind of want them to be a little bit secret about it. Um, kind of like even with uh, Black Panther's uh, Wakanda Forever, which comes out this Friday, like, they gave a lot away in that fucking trailer. I am seeing it tomorrow, and, uh, and yeah, nice. not only, I mean, you know, unfortunately, like, at, at me, who tries to avoid all those trailers, but because, you know, I go to <laughs> yeah. the movies as much as I do. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. you know what? They should just have yep. one theatrical trailer and let that be yeah. the theatrical yep. trailer that gets played however many times. But like I said, they do like two or three trailers all revealing like different things or, or showing you a little bit more and a little bit more. And, you know, like I, I didn't seek out trailer two when it dropped. I didn't seek out the final no. trailer when it dropped. But instead, you know, when I went and saw Black Adam, I had to see that trailer, you know, and it was like, well, that's kind of a drag. I, I really didn't want to see it. 
Um, was Black Adam worth it? Because I'm still on the on the fence of whether or not I want to go see it. I was thinking about going to see it this weekend, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm still, you know, it was. You know, like, uh, no, no, no. You know what? It, it it's a little. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's a little bit messy. Uh, you know, I'm going to keep okay. it spoiler free as I can. Uh, it isn't terrible. Uh, I do like the direction that DC has been going in. Um, you know, so so that that is good. They they definitely stayed true to the character being the quote unquote antihero. So there's no no punches pulled in that regards. Uh, you know, aside from that, though, yeah, I mean, you know, we listen, we we see a lot of comic book movies right now. It did not break any new ground whatsoever, but it is a good representation of that character. The Rock is is stoic throughout, so you're not getting him mugging it up for the camera as Black Adam. Okay. You're getting him p- fully portraying the character. He is all in as far as performing this. So uh, so I, I, I will give him credit there. Uh, but yeah, again, if, if you're looking for a, a crazy deep story, no, you're not going to get it with this movie because, you know, it's, it's, it's still a comic book movie at its, at its heart and, and it plays as such. That is true. That is true. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still looking forward to seeing him. I was on the fence, but the trailers has kind of sold me. The more I saw it in the theater, I'm like, ah, I kind of want to go see it. But then again, I want to see Wakanda forever. I still have to see uh, Pray for the Devil. So, I mean, I still have a couple of movies left uh, that I want to check out in the theater um, uh, coming up. But speaking about movies that just come out recently, uh, you had said in the group chat that you had seen Terrifier 2 on Screenbox. Now that you're a subscriber. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, uh, I fell for it, man. You know, like I was going to go see it. <laughs> The other yeah. day in the theater, um, you know, again, as yeah. I said a billion, zillion times, I have that AMC Plus thing, uh, well, AMC, uh, not AMC Plus, uh, AMC A-list. Um, right. So, so uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes laziness just kind of like hits me in the balls with stuff. And it's like, you know, oh, I, get it. I know <laughs> I can go to the theater right down the road. It's, it's not even 15 minutes. I can get to the East Brunswick <laughs> Theater without traffic in 13 minutes. At most, it's like a yeah. 16 to 17 minute drive. You know, the Freehold Theater is 20 minutes. But the, the first showing on Sunday was at like 2.45. And it's like a two-plus-hour movie. That's late. So, like, in my head, I'm oh, like, yeah. Man, it's Sunday. I get in there. 2.45 with trailers means I'm lucky if the movie's starting by, like, 3.05. And then I'm not getting out of there until, like, 5.15. And, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, you know, I'm, I, I didn't. Instead, I, I grabbed uh, the, the little monster, and that's, that's when we went and saw Black Adam at noon. You know, and, and that, nice. yeah. even, like I said... It didn't start until it was a 12 o'clock showing that did not start till like 1233. I was like, wow, I could not believe I was sitting through 30 something minutes of trailers. Like it was obscene, the amount of trailers that they they put there. Um, Maybe it wasn't, it might've been 1220, Sorry. It might not have been 33 minutes. It might've been 24 minutes. Um, So that's a lot. So, so yeah, and that, and put it this way, my laziness abounds so much, that was my second time seeing Black Adam. That wasn't even my first time seeing it. This is my oh. second time. I would rather watch a movie a second time <laughs> than go see another movie yeah. later because I just didn't want to be tired <laughs> while watching it. So, 
since I had decided this the night before, what I ended up doing is, yes, Screenbox is similar to, like, Shudder and all of that. They have the exclusive rights to Terrifier 2. They have, you know, I think they have, like, a 9 or four ninety nine a month or whatever it is option. But for, like, 25 bucks, you got the whole year. So I got to figure mm. that, you know, they've got enough on there that'll at least make it worth having the full year. I know you had said they have some deal with, like, Bloody Disgusting or something, so... Yeah, they yeah, do, yeah. I, I'm hoping it pays itself off. You know, unfortunately, the app is very bare-bones. It's, you know, there really are not a lot of selections on there. Um, you know, some of the quote-unquote classics that are on there, it's like, okay, I've seen most of these before, or I know other places that I can find them. Um, so, so really, it's going to be about whatever other exclusives they can give me. So, so Terrifier 2, uh, yes, one scene, which of course was, I mean, I think a few scenes were filmed in Manalapan, but finding out that the opening sequence, Amazing. Uh, part, of, part of what happens happened in the laundromat right down the, wo- the road from us, blown away. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, how did this happen, like, in my town and me not even find out about it? Just goes to show how, like, out of, like, the horror community people that we normally, like, spoken, like, would speak to, like, we just haven't been because we've just been so busy with everything else. Um... But, but, yeah, we were sitting there watching it, and, and they're in the laundromat, and me and me, like Sam's in the room with me, and she's like, that looks like our laundromat. I'm like, all laundromats look the same. But then I'm looking <laughs> at the one wall, and I'm going, I go, yeah, you know what, that does kind of look like our laundromat. I'm like, wow, yeah, look, the washer's right there, the dryer's right there. That, what, that really looks like our laundromat. So I, I looked it up on their Wikipedia, and like I said, sure as shit, scenes were filmed in Manalapan and Newark, New Jersey. Manalapan being where they ended up doing that, that laundromat scene, and I think some of the house sequences happened there as well. Uh, Terrifier 2 delivers as advertised. Um, if you were a fan of the original Terrifier, I think you'll come away very happy with Terrifier 2, though you might find that the runtime being over two hours is a little much. Uh, if you were not a fan of Terrifier you still may come away with at least a little more appreciation for what they are about. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess there's all kinds of talk about, like, they, 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 they have a lot more money for this movie, and that you'll tell right off the bat. The camera work is much better. It doesn't look as raw. Um, you know, I guess they, they worked on, like, an actual script. They gave you characters with, like, I, you know what? I, I can't even. I can't even like say. Like the characters are very bare bones. So whoever wrote that kind of shit, man, sure. like sorry, but it was like it was kind of on the weekend. But man, they're practical special of bomb. Okay, you know the the, the penultimate <laughs> scene in the original Terrifier of the woman getting sewn in, sawed in half. Um, obviously, you're never going to match that again. But, you know, they just go right off the rip and show you that, like, they don't give a fuck about the human anatomy at all. You're going to see things that are kind of going to make you go, ooh, but you don't want to turn away either because you're like, ooh, ooh, no, oh, okay. So, yeah, if you like gore, if you like seeing that kind of shit and blood splattered everywhere and... And don't give a shit about what villain, why he's doing it, or, or any kind of story to him whatsoever. 
Terrifier 2 is your fucking outlet for that right now because, yeah, you will have a good time watching it. Uh, I I did. I, I laughed my way through through most of it. It does drag a little bit as you get onto the tail end of the movie, um, but but everything preceding that is, uh, yeah, yeah, is, is a lot of fun. Like I said, you do feel that runtime. Unfortunately, it rears its nasty, ugly head, and, uh, and yeah, as, as you hit the... the the last third of the movie where, you know, it, like we see in typical horror movies, you know, your, your body count starts to slow down. The effects are mm-hmm. not so, so, so prevalent because you're now trying to, like, make your way to the end of the storyline. And, and that, once that, like, starts to happen, you kind of are like, okay, come on, let's just fucking end this already. Yeah, no, I, I get that. You know, where it's like, okay, now we're in a rush to get to the third act and end this thing. Um, you know, the runtime definitely was a turn off to me. I mean, I was one of those people that did not like Terrifier. I just, I appreciated the gore aspect of it, and I liked what you said about the gore in Terrifier too. I mean, that is a plus, but I need you to throw me a story. Like, even if it's kind of a bare-bones story, I just need something to kind of hang on to, especially if you're going to get me in the theater for a two-plus-hour movie. I need something to go off of, so... You know, people saying, I love Terrifier 2. It's the greatest fucking thing I've ever seen. This is my movie of the year. I appreciate all that. You know, I do. It's just, it's not a movie that I really would want to seek out unless it was a pick for the show. But what I do appreciate, and this is what I wanted to talk about, is that the movie was made for $250,000. So obviously, like the Gould said, bigger budget, so they could do a little bit more. But over the course of its box office run, it's raked in over $10 million fucking dollars. Mm-hmm. That's massive. I am really fucking glad for Damien Leone, the director, the writer, you know, of this Terrifier 2 sequel. You know, I wish him all the best. I think that's fucking amazing that he can make $10 million off an unrated movie in theaters. You know, I think that's great. You know, it's just, as Terrifier, it's just not for me. <laughs> you know, but I do appreciate the fact that it's raked in a lot of cash. You know, I, I, I love will, uh, that. Independent cinema doing it. Uh, I, I, I do wonder, I mean, with it making that much in theaters, I do wonder how uh, how Screenbox is faring, you know, if, if they have actually pulled anybody in. I know that Dean was going to, uh, he was going to do the trial for it yeah. and then uh, through Amazon and then just cancel so he didn't have to pay for it. Uh, I just ended up giving him my login information, which, again, if you, if you do want to see it, I will, I will gladly <laughs> share that with you. I mean, I might. I might be bored enough to be like, you know what, let's go with Terrifier 2. <laughs> I'll watch it. Um, as of right now, I'm not. Um, but I am glad to see Screenbox is apparently doing well. I know that Bloody Disgusting has a stake in it, so they're always talking about Screenbox, and they're like, oh, it's as low as two ninety nine a month if you want it. So I'm glad about that. I mean, I'm a Shutter boy, so <laughs> stick with that. You know what? They, they do do the thing, too, where they have some live TV channels on there as well. Uh, one mm-hmm. was, you know, one had Mystery Science Theater 3000 plopping on it. Um, oh, nice. Another one had a, a Rift Tracks going. It wasn't the okay. Rift Tracks channel, though. It was just another channel. It just mm. happened to have a Rift Tracks playing at the time. Because um, I know I think, my, uh, I think my Samsung TV has, like, an actual Rift Tracks channel. And I'm always like, oh, you know, I'm going to watch that all the time because I love Rift Tracks, you know. But they play the same fucking movies again and again and again <laughs> on that time. channel for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, to make yep. it worse, like, so much of it is just previews 
and trailers for like other riff tracks things. And then you just got to hear the song over mm-hmm. and over again. So you got love riff tracks, riff tracks, riff tracks. Track. Uh-huh. And I'm like, man, <laughs> yeah. I just want to watch riff tracks. Stop fucking like trying to sell me on it. You're telling me this is the channel. Play the fucking thing already. If I have to see the ice cream man fucking trailer again, <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill myself. <laughs> I know. Yeah, because I watch uh, Rick Tracks channel on Pluto TV, and they always play the same fucking movies over and over again. It's always either Samurai Cop or Night of the Living Dead or Carnival of Souls. I'm like, can you play something fucking different? Like, I've seen these fucking movies constantly, you know? And, again, yeah, they play the trailers for a lot of other ones, and I'm like, where are those? <laughs> where are those fucking movies, you know, that you keep pushing? Um, so I get it. But, yeah, it's on Pluto. It's obviously on Streambox. I mean, I like Rick Tracks, but, I mean, I just want variety. Um, but... Uh, I want to kind of stick a little bit with the, the Christmas standpoint because we did talk about Violent Night earlier. Um, so if you're in the L.A. area uh, coming up on November 30th, there's a thing called Scripps Gone Wild, and it's going to be returning to the LCID Theater at 7 p.m. for a Christmas-centric reading of Bob Clark's classic Black Christmas. This is a charity event benefiting the Center for Reproductive Rights. So if you're in the area, you could attend. General admission is 20 bucks. VIP front row is 30 bucks with discounted add-ons available for commemorative T-shirts. Visit scriptsgonewild.com for more details. Uh, Scripts Gone Wild, if you're not familiar with it, they're kind of like an improv, you know, centric group uh, with some horror people coming in to read these scripts. And they put some improv in there, so they flub some things and they have fun, have a lot of laughs. But I love the fact that it's benefiting reproductive rights because if you don't remember that 72 classic, uh, it features uh, Olivia Hussey playing Jess, who gets pregnant by her boyfriend, Peter, and decides that she wants to put her career first and have an abortion, while Peter is like, you're not fucking doing that. You're my wife. And she's like, I'm not even fucking married to you. We're just dating. So I love the fact that it's benefiting reproductive rights, which is an important uh, organization. So if you're in the L.A. area, check that out. Perfect to kick off the Christmas season on November 30th. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Without so, a doubt. Continuing with that, like I said, I have some Christmas things. So, uh, Ghoul, when you think about the movie that came out back in the 90s, A Nightmare Before Christmas, do you consider that a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? <laughs> you know what? I'll be perfectly honest with you. I really don't think about that movie all that often. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's one of those – you know, me, me and the Ghoul Girl spoke about this not too long ago. That, that's like one of those movies that, for whatever reason, I just really never had much interest in. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's not that I dislike Tim Burton's work. I just, for some reason, just, it never, it never attracted me. Uh, I guess I think of it as a Christmas movie. I mean, it's the nightmare before mm-hmm. Christmas, you know? So, so yeah, when I think of that film, like, isn't it about him having to like take over for Santa Claus or some shit? Because like Santa Claus gets like kidnapped yeah. by Oops Boogie. Yeah. He gets kidnapped and, and, uh, Jack gets to take over. And do Christmas because he finds himself in Christmas land and becomes obsessed. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so that's kind of definitely a, a Christmas movie. movie. I mean, that makes it a Christmas yeah, I, movie right there. If what Jack is doing I is, agree. you know, basically saving Christmas, it's a Christmas film. Yeah, I mean, yes, you have the right. iconic This Is Halloween song at the beginning, but it is a Christmas movie. But what I wanted to bring it up is because, you know, you had mentioned Tim Burton, but did you know that it was actually directed by Henry Selleck? No, I it was directed it was a by Burton. Movie. No, it was directed by Henry Selleck. He actually directed the film. 
three weeks before the movie came out, the studio that was releasing it wanted to capitalize on Burton's Batman and Edward Scissorhands, and he called it Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton didn't have a lot to do with the movie, so Henry Selleck was the one that did a lot of it. So he was giving an interview recently um, where he said that Tim was in L.A. making two features while I directed that film. I mean, Tim is a genius, or he certainly was in his most creative years. I always thought his story was perfect, and he designed the main characters. But it was really me and my team of people who brought that to life. So he has a little bit of sour grapes regarding the fact that he never gets commended for his work of directing the movie, kind of like uh, Toby Hooper with Poltergeist, where everybody was like, well, that's a Steven Spielberg movie. No, Toby Hooper directed that movie. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, Hooper directed it, but Spielberg gets all the credit. And so now Selleck is yeah, well, I mean, saying that's the same because, thing about his movie. You know, so many people said Spielberg was basically on set all the time, and, you know, a, a lot of things that he wanted got done with – um. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just that Tim Burton's name is so attached to Nightmare that, like, again, like, like I said, I, I was always under the assumption that, you know, it's, it's Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. So <laughs> why wouldn't, why wouldn't Tim Burton have been the director of it? But I guess he was just the creator of it. So, I guess that that does make sense. So yeah, I, I can understand why you'd. Uh, why uh, Henry Selick would have some sour grapes about that, man. Uh, I do apologize, sir. I do apologize. I mean, again, like you had said, it's easy to kind of forget because you see that thing, Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas, you would think that's his. Um, but it's a lot like um, <clears throat> Wes Craven came out uh, and kind of not produced, but put his name on a lot of projects back in the early 2000s, one of them being they where it was Wes Craven's presents they, and it's like he had nothing to do with it. He just got paid to put his name on it. So the director of that movie also kind of had a thing where he's like, well, Wes Craven had nothing to do with this movie. It was mine, but they put Wes Craven's name on it so they could sell it as a director video. And I was like, yeah, you kind of feel bad for these directors. <laughs> they put their heart and soul into something, and then all of a sudden you get a famous director's name above it. And it's like, well, it wasn't his. <laughs> it was mine, but you got to sell it somehow. You got to get butts in seats. So I get yeah, it why you'd I, want to do that. I mean, look too though, like you know, again, Tim Burton created the story. You know, so it's like I guess you know if we were to say, hey, Doctor Seuss is, you know, the the Grinch who stole Christmas. You know, now <laughs> yeah. now we all we all know Doctor Seuss isn't directing that movie because no. we know Doctor Seuss isn't a director. I think in the case of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, it's that Tim Burton has done so few films that, like, it just would make sense that that would be one of his films. You know, you look at the other movies that, he, that he's done. It, it falls in line, you know, visually with the things that he has already done. Now, obviously, it's because he created the characters. He created the story. He just didn't happen to direct that particular movie. Uh, I think with the case of... Wes Craven, I think that's a matter of attaching a name to something in order to sell more tickets, you know, and that's like, hey, we don't have all that much faith in this movie, but like, if we want Wes Craven's name on it, it'll probably get a couple people in the seats, because they won't know that he didn't direct it. Um, you know, again, unfortunately, people see a name like that, and they automatically think, oh, well, you know, if, if he had something to do with it, then it's definitely great. 
I mean, we see it with the oh, executive producer thing these days. You know what I mean? Look at Carpenter mm-hmm. with the latest Halloween movies, you know? Like, yeah, you put your music in and you created the characters. And, like, we know he really did nothing else with those films, which, you know, goes nope. to show why those films are so wildly not Halloween. You know, and I get it, whatever. They're the fucking sequels we've got right now. Um, you know, I, I'm just, just waiting. Give it another five or six years, they'll do a total reboot. <laughs> oh, it's, it's going to be. I mean, there's also that rumor that apparently Peacock is going to be interested in developing a uh, Halloween series. Um, oh, that's well, been floating around the Internet recently. Along with the Crystal Lake <laughs> yeah. series, so that this way eventually yep. you can have Michael versus Jason. I mean, come on. They really – I guarantee that you that's really, it. Dude, oh, my God, please, oh, God, right? Lord, please, like, some kind of fucking, like, some kind of dark universe of, of these characters, man, I don't want that at all, the but do I, fucking you know what, studio? like, come on, oh, but do I, because Freddy vs. Jason ended up better than it should have been, Oh, no, no, so I, don't. I don't, I don't, I don't, because you know what, then you'll have Leatherface, like, walking down the fucking the, the road, like, you know, coming in with his fucking <laughs> chainsaw dragon behind him, and it's like, oh, here comes Bubba. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden Candyman comes flying in on a sea of bees, Did somebody call me. Oh, now it's a fucking four-way match. <laughs> that sounds like a fucking Mortal Kombat game. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like that horror game that came out a couple of years ago where you could face off against other horror icons. Uh, I can't remember what the name of that video game was, but it, it was popular for a while. But, yeah. Yeah, it was on PC I just thought, like, I wouldn't be surprised. if I remember right. Yeah, it was some kind of horror Mortal Kombat game. But I was like, I wouldn't fucking be surprised if that happens. Like, you know, the rumors are swelling about. But, you know, like John Carpenter, I think uh, the Dean brought it up last week about he didn't give a shit whether people really liked the Halloween trilogy or not. You know, that David Gordon Green did. And I was like, I wouldn't either. All you're doing is getting paid money. Here's that money truck. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> I don't give a shit if the movie's good or not. I'm making fucking money. Like he said in an interview like years ago, he's like, I don't care if they keep making Halloween films until after I'm dead. He's like, I'm gonna still make money somehow, some way. You know, I'm gonna get a check. You know, that's that's what he cares about because that's what he likes, and I don't mind that. But at the same time, like I I always kind of. Never really liked his uh, appreciation of Halloween 2, where he just hated it, where he's like, oh, I fucking sat on a fucking typewriter with a six-pack of beer, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll make them brother and sister. I'm like, no, that was actually a smart move, because now he has a fucking purpose. Now he has a reason to track down the Warrior Strode. You know, now he has a reason to finish what he did in Halloween. You know, so you might not like it, but it actually made for a fucking good movie. Like, Halloween 2 is an actually good sequel. Like I said, I mean, man, I, I like. I, I'm not going to say yeah, I don't like. It, you know, because it's it's like yeah. uh, upon rewatching it, you know, when uh, I think we we covered it not too long ago, what last year or the year before. We did, yeah. Um, yep. You know, it's one of those where it's like in my memory, it's always better than it actually was. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said before, going to see Halloween ends, you know, seeing the original Halloween on the big screen and seeing even watching the original Halloween at home on my television, that entire franchise only needs that one movie. That one fucking movie is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. It is so great. 
even the flaws in it, like, and as we seem to find them, like, later and later, you know, and it's like, whatever, <laughs> like, we, we're, like, we found with, with Loomis and the fucking car this time around, you know, it's like, I just, uh, I just, again, like, I it's just, so I appreciate that movie more and more with each time I watch it to the point that it just really makes me feel like all of those sequels could all just, like, they could be in a fucking building somewhere, and they could burn, and people be like, oh, all that's left is the original Halloween, and I'd be like, yes! You know, same as Jaws, you know? Like, like ultimately, like, mm-hmm. I look back on Jaws 2 in my mind, and I'm like, oh, yeah, man, Jaws 2 is good. But then, like, when I go and watch it, I'm like, wow, man, this movie really is nowhere near as fucking great as the original film was. Oh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. But it's the same thing where it's like, if you gave me Jaws 1 and 2 and never made anything after that, I'd be okay with it. Like, Jaws 2 Absolutely. isn't great by any means, but it's kind of a good send-off to Brody. You know, and it's the same thing with uh, Halloween 2. Like, it's a good send-off to Loomis and Michael. They're done. No way they're coming back. They both fucking got blown up in a hospital. It's a great send-off. Like, if you only had those two, perfect. Same thing with Scream and Scream 2. Done. I don't need Scream 3, 4, 5, 6. Give me the first two. First two were good. <laughs> you know, Give me Scream it. 1. You, you know how I feel yeah, with well, Scream yeah, 2, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in that camp with you, though. Like, if you just gave me Scream 1 and nothing came after that, I'd be like, it's perfect. Like, you never have to go back. Like, Scream 2 struggled. Like, Scream, scream 2 definitely one. struggled to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And Scream 2 comes out, like, a decade later. You know what I mean? Like, where... Because remember, yeah. Scream 1 was such a commentary on horror yeah. films from like the 70s yep. and the 80s up until that 96 period. So, so if you were to give another 10 to maybe 15 years for all of the films that were going to then follow the original Scream with that we're smarter than everybody else, sarcastic tone that that scream created, you know, so so that we ended up having films like I Know What You Did Last Summer and 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 uh, what's the one that I'm thinking of? Oh man, the uh, Urban Legends and, and yes, everything yeah. else that mm-hmm. like followed after that, you know. Then you make Scream 2, because then it could even be smarter than the first one and be like, ha look what we created this time around, you know? And, like, I don't know, but no, instead we got Scream 2 and then Scream 3. And, you know, I know you don't like Scream 4. I don't hate that one. And the latest one bad. was... I mean, I... Yeah. It was good. I don't hate Scream 4. The more I've seen it, the more I don't hate it as much. I still don't really like it, but I don't hate it like I did when I first saw it in the theater. Like, when I first saw it in the theater, I was like, this fucking movie sucks. Like, it's just not good. Just, the more I've seen it, I'm like, you know what? It's, it's just actually mad. not bad. You're just, a, it's Kirby, kind of you're just a Kirby hater, man. That's all. You're just a Kirby hater. No, I love Kirby. I love Kirby. It was Emma Roberts that I don't like. And that fucking Culkin kid. I'm like, these are the fucking killers? No fucking way. No fucking way. No way are these two the killers. Like, No way. <laughs> I still can't accept it. I mean, I have to. It was, the movie, but, I, yeah. I can believe it out of a Culkin kid, man. I can believe it out of a Culkin kid. You know, I'm not sure Yeah, but to pull off the strength it. of feet, though. <clears throat> yeah, but to pull off, like, what they did in that movie with the kills, I'm like, no way. The guy weighs, like, 90 pounds. No way is he fucking doing the shit that he could do in this movie. He would get his fucking head kicked. <laughs> no way. But yet they did it, you know. I mean, it's believable with Billy and Stu because, you know, they were kind of built, you know, so they could do that. Even in part two 
I was like, really? Fucking Billy Loomis' mom is the one that's butchering uh, Randy? I was like, no way. Fucking <laughs> like 45-year-old woman. No way is she pulling oh. up. But. She was Roseanne's sister, man. You know, she's, she's got some... <laughs> yeah, she's insane. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's like I said, I, I've kind of softened on, on Scream 4 a little bit. I mean, you know, it, it's not that bad of a movie. It tries to go back to the roots a little bit, you know, of what made the first one so good. But you just, you can't, you can't go back and do Scream. Like, Scream is such a perfect example of a great slasher, like you had said in the 90s. A great commentary on those 70s and 80s flashers with great characters, even though Skeet Ulrich was just fucking hamming it up the entire time. <laughs> Obviously, he's the killer. Like, you want to saw it, you know, first time. Like, yeah, he's the killer. I never saw Stu. I was like, but definitely saw Billy Wilmus a mile away. Like, yeah, he's the killer. But it was just such a well-done movie. And then they just fucking kept going. And I was like, why do you need to keep making movies? Like, part three is just a fucking disaster. You know, with, with having her half-brother Roman showing up, and he's like, I fucking hate you, Sydney. I'm like, what? Okay. And you're the one that trained Billy and Stu to kill? Okay. Well, I guess we can go with that. <laughs> what a threadbare story that was. So, you know, and we covered Scream 5, you know, which went, uh, it's fair. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Scream 5 just didn't leave a good taste in my mouth either because Wes is dead. So to make a movie without him felt weird, but... It was okay, I guess. You know, it's just I felt like, yeah, like you said with Halloween. If they had just made one Scream movie, I would have been happy. Like, just don't need to do all the others. Because Scream 2 came out the fucking, only like a couple months after Scream came out, 96. Yeah, they, they pumped it out really quick. Really, really quick. I mean, I remember getting it on VHS back in the day, the first Scream, and there was a trailer for part two before the movie even started. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like I didn't even get to see Scream One yet. And the show for part two, okay. I'm like, we're in. Um but speaking of that, uh Scream Six, which we've talked about previously, is gonna be taking place in New York City. Uh it's gonna be on the way in twenty twenty three. It was originally slated for release on March thirty first, twenty twenty three, and it's now gonna release on March tenth, twenty twenty three. No word on why the boost was made, but it's kind of interesting to see that Paramount's Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, has been moved from March 3rd to March 31st. So it's like, that's going to take the Scream 6 spot. So I have no idea why. It's fucking weird, but that's how they're shifting it around. I don't know why they're boosting it up, but they are. Maybe it doesn't want to compete. <laughs> I can't see Dungeons & Dragons making that much money, but, you know, I uh, don't want to get the competition. Uh, you know, like, oh, like I hate this, this man. Like I really do. That fucking like. Okay, like uh, I. Um, how do you kind of express it? Like I don't know right. if there is any real way to make. A good Dungeons and Dragons movie. Um, you know, they, they tried this already uh, with the Jeremy Irons movie uh, with Thora Birch. And, I remember uh, that. Yep. I think Justin Whale, Justin Whalen, one of the one of the Wayans yes. is in it. I yep. think Mar- Marlin maybe. Um, Marlin, yeah. You know, and 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 that movie is 
pretty fucking unwatchable um, for for all intents and purposes. Like there there are some comedic moments, but for the most part, the movie was just just terribly put together, terribly edited. A lot of shit just was never finished. The special effects were shit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not even like, oh, well, they're just shitty for the time. Nah, man, you guys just fucking cheap out on the movie. Don't lie. You spent too much to get fucking Jeremy Irons and and Thora Birch because you somehow thought they were going to carry the fucking film for you. Um, So I feel like at least from what I've seen in the trailers of this, the the, the performers seem to know what what they're in. Um, I, yeah. I, I found yeah. Chris Pine to kind of be somewhat funny in, in the little bits and pieces that I've seen. Um, it looks like they are kind of playing towards the where a bunch of dudes like hanging out. Oh, dudes, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, I don't mean to isolate. <laughs> yeah. We'll play D I know there are plenty of ladies <laughs> out there doing these campaigns. Um, you know, we but, love you, uh, ladies. But, we're, we're all a bunch of nerds sitting around a table, and we're rolling dice, and we're running our fucking campaign. You know, like, and I, I've done it. I know the, the monkey has done it. Um, you know, we've I've done recently it. in a campaign in which fucking, you know, one of our barbarians, his fucking go-to was, was literally ripping people's dicks off. You know, and then he would run around and beat up people with dick. You know, I was a turtle. For for a, a a session in which I had a stutter, so here I am a, tur- a turtle humanoid who is going to be slow speaking as it is, and I have a terrible stutter, and I mean like a terrible terrible stutter. And guess and guess what I was? I was a magic user, so I had to say oh. all of my spells. Which, you know, oh, no. it takes a oh, while to no. cast a fucking fireball when all you can get out is a... Screwed yourself. Basic, oh, no, no, but that was all part of the nasty fun. Well, one of my healers, I had a cleric, man, okay? It was fucking Harry Healing Finger. I used to have to stick my finger on somebody's ass to heal him. You know, so if I didn't, the, the spell wouldn't work if my finger wasn't up their ass. Or, well, it's what I said anyway. I, I don't know if it really worked that way or not. Um, I never tried. And most of the party didn't like my finger up their ass. So that, that always led to problems. Um, well, so, so that being said, I feel like the movie is kind of trying to at least play to some of the humor of, like, what it's like to to play D&D. Now, of course, look, there's the only other way you can go about that is to go the Jumanji route and be like, oh, look at these kids or whatever. They're playing D&D and they've been sucked into D&D world. Oh, no, look at the dragon. Um, and I don't, I, they obviously didn't want to go that route with it. You know, the, the only other thing that I think could ever work as a, as a Dungeons and Dragons film series would be to go into the Forgotten Realms, into R.A. Salvatore's mm-hmm. storyline, and pull in some oh, yeah. of the, like, the great one, Trit Stewart in, and, you know, that whole entire world that he's built, um, you know, which is just, it's, 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 I love those, I love that series, I love those characters, you know, no, yeah. or, and all of them, and, like, that I think could be fun. 
I just don't know if that's going to really draw in an audience as much as getting, like, you know, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez and, like, ooh, these are people that I'd never expect to see in this nerdy type of film. I don't think it's going to be successful. Am I going to go see it? Fuck yeah, I am, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm also somebody that loves that terrible World of Warcraft movie, so... You know, like, I, I'm all into this shit because, you know, like, I, I find the fun in it. But, but yeah, it's, it's probably going to be really bad. Like, really bad. Yeah, I completely forgot about that fucking World of Warcraft movie. Wow. That just came and went. I remember I saw it, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then it just kind of went. And I'm like, all right. But, yeah, Chris Pine was kind of selling me on the trailer where I was like, okay, I like Chris Pine. You know, then seeing him being a mandolin player and shit like that, I was like, okay. The loot. So he bit plays the loot. Thank you. Loot. And he makes. He makes I thought it was plan. a mandolin. I was thinking, but still, the plan it, goes it wrong. Because I was thinking, like, I don't know why they didn't get Vin Diesel to do it. Because Vin Diesel's a huge fucking D and D guy. You know, I mean, he loves that shit. So I'm surprised they didn't get him acting He's opposite Michelle Rodriguez. He's all about family. Michelle Rodriguez probably didn't want to play with him. <laughs> well, because he has another Fast and the Furious movie to make. Because he's got 15 of them now, so. He's like, yeah, this is the last one. We've made 20 of them. We're going to make another one. After the last Witch Hunter, he's probably done with the mm-hmm. fantasy thing, too. You know, that, that, that didn't fare Maybe. him too well. It wasn't a good movie. That's the problem. Like, it's just, it wasn't very <laughs> oh, good. Get out of here. <laughs> you like it? You like no. that movie? God, that was, oh. that was terrible. That was an <laughs> I was awful gonna say. Please don't say you like that movie. Cause that no, movie no, 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 no. I, I watched it once, and I will never, ever watch that fucking movie again. Nope. No, sir. Yeah, no, thank you. Passing fucking hard. Um, so I do have a, a couple more things I want to talk about before we get into the movie tonight, of course. Uh, um, so Christmas is coming up, of course. <clears throat> so we're all making our gift lists and everything like that to what we get our kids and, you know, nieces, nephews, everything like that. Uh, I found something fucking hilarious, so I wanted to share it with you tonight. Apparently, on Walmart's website, you can buy a Hellraiser puzzle box, a.k.a. the Lament configuration, for $28.97. But this is for the children. Yes, this puzzle box is being toted as a STEM toy, science, technology, engineering, and math. The site builds it as ability training. Your imagination is unlimited. It helps build self-respect and confidence. And this is the fucking real thing, and I have the link, and I'll put it in the group chat, where you could buy it for your kid so they could play with a puzzle box and hopefully summon Pinhead into their lives, which I just fucking think is hilarious. <laughs> They're marketing this fucking thing towards kids. Um, you know, wild. Because I have a, a lament configuration that doesn't move, but the fact that they're trying to teach kids how to do brain games through a lament configuration, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> I, I, okay, you know, imagine Pinhead ah. showing up. He's like, I have such shite to show you. And it's like, oh, fuck, Jimmy. Hi, Pinhead. I love you. God damn it, Jimmy. Why do you keep summoning me? I just wanted to play with your puzzle box. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> all right. Don't do it again, Jimmy. I hey, promise. Uh, little Tina wants to paint his fingernails for him. <laughs> Golf black again, thank PR. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, God damn it! All right, I'll sit here. We can talk about your day at school. Like you're my only babysitter, Pinhead. I know. <laughs> I hope you learn STEM. <laughs> Just drawing pictures of him and Pinhead in the park. 
tree school with the fucking Cenobites, dude. That's like fantastic right there, man. Showing up fucking uh, show and tell with fucking Shatterer. (laughs) You know what's so sad is I I, I watched the latest Hellraiser uh, on Hulu. Uh, Finally got around to it. Um, Yeah, you know what? I, I... I did not dislike it. I did find it to to be a little slow at times. Uh, there were, there yeah. were and I, yep. I was tired while watching it, so I think I did end up splitting yep. it between two viewings, um, and not not due to length. I was just I was just exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you know what? I uh, I liked what they did with it. I liked uh, I liked how they they portrayed everything. I I enjoyed. I, uh, the female pinhead. I mean, I guess that that's how we want to. I don't know. Like, I it, I understand that she, she was performed by a woman, but like, I really feel yeah. like it was still just a personification of what pinhead is. You know, it's just the fucking dread priest yeah. or whatever the hell it's called. Um, the helper. Yeah. You know, and it was it was fantastic. Uh, but what I realized as as we watched it, and I, I'm sure I've come to this conclusion before. You know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that I know what that fucking box does. If that fucking thing just materialized in front of me, or if I walked in somewhere and I saw that box sitting on yeah. the table, I'm going to start playing with it because <laughs> it's just, you just can't not, yeah. you know? And it's like, fuck, yeah. man. Like, I realized my ass would be fucking, be, I'd be like a Frank. I'd be tortured <laughs> and fucking ripped apart, you know, with all the same, the whole fucking thing. My face all stretched out. I'd be like... Jesus Christ. You know, which to this day, for some reason, that fucking scene makes me die laughing every time I fucking see it. Jesus so, wept. <laughs> fucking, yep, nope, I fucking howl. You know, just between the look of his face all stretched <laughs> out and shit, man. It's like, damn, man. It's, it's, just a, it's just such a fucked up thing to say at that particular moment <laughs> in time, man. Like, damn, bro. Like, are you telling me this is what Jesus went through? Is this what happened during that fucking time he was gone? Fuck, man, he found the Hellraiser box. Yeah, no, um, and with the new Hellraiser, yeah, I, I, I really did fucking enjoy it. But like you had said with the puzzle box, I like the fact that they had it change shape a lot. Like it wasn't always a box. Like it was always constantly changing shape. And the fact that it had a little blade inside, so if you played it the wrong way, it would stab you and you would bleed, and that's what they needed to come out, the Cenobites. No, I love but it. See, no, that's a little extra. That's the thing. See, you were reading it all wrong. So you have okay. seven configurations for the right. seven. Uh, oh, whatever. You have the five. Sorry, the five configurations. Five. Yeah. For the five okay. sacrifices that you need, the blade doesn't come mm-hmm. out when you do it wrong. The idea is that the okay. blade is there to draw blood for the next sacrifice. You get what I'm saying? Mm, so, like, okay. if, you're, if you do yeah, the puzzle and it cuts you. You're the one that's going to be the sacrifice, or you can volunteer and put somebody else in your place. Um, or in like the right. case of what we were seeing, they were solving the puzzle and revealing the blade, but then using it to stab other people. Um, you know, I do know that, like, you know, for, for some reason, I guess a lot of people are kind of like up in the air as far as the ending of that film, um, mm-hmm. where you see, uh, you know, you see our, our, our main villain character kind of like in. Uh, some people believe like what they saw at the end was him being turned into a Cenobite with the idea being that this is like the, the process of which Cenobites are I made. Can see that. Yeah. I could see that as well. Um, but I feel like with what his 
choice was, I don't think it was to be a Cenobite. I forget exactly which one he, he the, 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 whatever the last one was. Um, I believe he is becoming the god that they, they, they serve or, or worship. Leviathan. But it's, it's exactly, but it's not, it's not what we perceive as a god of like, you know, who is dictating what's going on. It's more like we serve you as a god with all these sacrifices, but you're just as tortured and in, and is in as much pain as we are. It would be kind of like if you were to say, hey, we all worship Jesus Christ, right? But the idea is, is like Jesus Christ is worshipped. He's up in heaven right now, sitting, you know, on the side of his father. You know, God himself, and like they sit there, they're all ruling together, like, you know, some kind of weird, like, holy kingdom. But what if that wasn't the case? What if instead Jesus is still nailed to a cross somewhere in, like, fucking complete agony for the entirety of his existence, all under the idea of we're worshiping him? You know, and like, that's how Mm -hmm. he has to exist in order for us to believe in him as as a a holy being. So it's like he's never out of pain. He's going to be tortured forever. It's just he's got, like, the ultimate power of being tortured forever. So, hey, no, that sucks. It's a great way to read into it. And, yeah, Roland is his name, the guy that that gets turned at the end when his flesh is ripped away. Um, And I love his performance, especially when he gets the gear put into his chest. And he has Mm -hmm. to deal with his flesh being torn away, constantly turned into his gear, and he wants the pain to go away. He wants it to end. And I love the fact that they dealt with addiction with the main character, you know, being a former heroin addict, you know, and she becomes addicted to the box, you know, and she just constantly has to, you know, play with it and then deal with these Cenobites. And I just, I love the fact that they did flesh for the Cenobites, where their outfit was their flesh. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't leather, like the original Hellraiser. It was actually their flesh that made their outfits. And I was like, that's so fucking cool. But I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's stupid. Hellraisers are leather. And I was like, yeah, but this isn't really a fucking Hellraiser movie. This is a rewatch. Like, this is them doing something. Uh, I mean, listen, you know, it's it, whatever it was that they were doing, you know, this was their, their vision for it. And I enjoyed it, man. I thought it was, I agree with you. I think it was actually pretty badass that they, they did that. You know, I don't need, you know, the fucking... The, the, the S&M Club version of, of, of <laughs> yeah. Hell Demons, you know, give me fucking things that are like, like, fuck, man, like, that thing just walked out of hell. How do I know that thing just walked out of hell? No, not because it's dressed like it just came out of the fucking Matrix. No, because its fucking skin <laughs> yeah. has been peeled in a way that it's now its fucking clothing. So, yeah, that fucking thing it does not look like it's pleasant at all. No. And I, I love the fact that when a victim was claimed by the box, when the blade got stabbed into them, like the world fell away. Like when they got stabbed, all of a sudden you would see the walls fading away and becoming hallways. And then everything just kind of faded into these things in hell. You know, I just love the fact that it was kind of like a drug because all of a sudden they would get the vision that was kind of hazy and they couldn't see very well. And all of a sudden you get all these fucking hallways showing up and that's when the Cenobites show up to take you. I was like, that was fucking great. You know, it's like you, you don't know what's happening. Like when the one girl was in the van and she's looking out the back window of the van and all of a sudden becomes a fucking hallway and she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Where am I? And then you know, the whole priest takes her away and she's strung up. Shades of Nightmare on Elm Street. 
You know what I mean? Where like yeah. you're you're taken away, you're whisked away into like you know a whole other realm in order to be tortured by these demons. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jamie Clayton, the trans actress that played the help race, fucking was great. Like I didn't get the people's complaints. Like I was like, she did a fantastic job, you know, doing it and showing up and giving a couple lines and then disappearing. Like I was like, it's not Doug Bradley. I know, I know you guys love Doug Bradley, but even he said she's great. So even he gave a stamp of approval to her role as the help priest. So you know, you gotta look at it that way. Doug Bradley, yes, do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what people would be expecting, you know, as far as like what they they wanted to see out of her, like to, to get more. You know, I thought. Again, I thought she she did a great job, and she didn't she did the character justice by yeah. pretty much she, for all intents and purposes she did everything that Doug Bradley would do, you know, without you know by by making it more ethereal than mm-hmm. physical. You know, like I feel with Doug Bradley, it was a more physical performance, but I think that also lends to the time in which his movies were made, you know, and I I know there was like eight fucking sequels or whatever, there's eight movies, I guess, with Doug Bradley in them, you know, and I, when I think of them, I really only think of the first three, you know, Bloodlines, yep. I know, I saw it in the theater, and I know it's, it's technically, it's in there, but it's not a made-for-home video movie, you know, I know that was a full theatrical release, oh, yeah. believe me, I, I saw it in the fucking theater, unfortunately, um, no, I'm pretty sure everything else do. after that was all straight to video and uh, or VOD, basically. And then, then I know they mm-hmm. did that one movie with whoever somebody else did it, and I never even bothered watching that one. So, Well, they did, too. They did uh, Hellraiser uh, Revelation, uh, which came in a couple of years ago, which didn't include Doug Bradley. And I can't remember the actors that played him, but it was like a fat pinhead where it looked ridiculous okay. the entire time. But it was kind of trying to be like a remake of the first one. And then they did uh, Hellraiser Judgment, which came out a couple of years afterwards with uh, Paul T. Taylor playing Pinhead, and that was fucking perfect. Like, I was like, forget about Revelation. Just check out, you know, Judgment. If you want to see a Pinhead oh. movie without actual Doug Bradley, it's worth checking out. Okay, so, so Judgment is not terrible. Judgment's not terrible. I actually own it because I saw it, you know, on uh, VOD. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to watch this movie and have it in my collection. So, yeah, I recommend that movie. Like, if you, you know, don't just forget about Revelation. <clears throat> if you want to see a pinhead played right by someone that's not Doug Bradley, you know, uh, Judgment's the way to go. And then, of course, this so how, new one with Jamie Clayton. Uh, so, okay, but, but taking out just the idea of, like, seeing it for the pinhead purpose, is the movie as a whole worth watching? Is it, like, does, does it fit well with, like, being a Hellraiser film? <clears throat> It is, and it's also because it, it, it incorporates Pinhead into the narrative, but it's not always about Pinhead. Like, there's a guy that's like a, a judgment character, you know, that has to sit you down, and he reveals your sins, and he eats your sins, and he vomits it up, and that's how Pinhead comes for you. It's like, it's a weird concept, but it actually kind of works. You know, when he just sits there, and he just basically judges all of your sins. So, yeah, if you ever get a chance to watch uh, Hellraiser Judgment, I think you might like it. Um, so before we get into the movie, there's one last thing I wanted to talk about, and that is something that might uh, be good for you, Ghoul, because you're kind of in that area, you know, if you want to take a day trip or something. So if you're ever in Long Island, New York, specifically Farmingdale, and you're a horror hound like we are, 
You might want to visit. <laughs> I guess, I guess in the area, it's only like two and a half hours away. <laughs> well, if you're ever out there, you never know. You might end up there because you want to go through the Amityville house. Uh, but there is a restaurant called Haunted House of Hamburgers. This restaurant is open huh. all year round and has a menu that includes silver bullet pancakes, ominous omelets, tombstone tacos, vampire bat wings, killer clown clam chowder, chantra burgers, poltergeist pulled pork, and more. There's even meat alternatives for the vegans out there. And I was okay. like, I haunted love the fact that there's a restaurant out there. In the Haunted House of Hamburgers. It's in Farmingdale okay, in Long Island, New York. <laughs> yep. And I just was that like, you know cool. what? I would fucking love to go there. It's a place that's open 365 all year round, offering different haunted uh, menu items, including desserts and drinks. I was like, you know what? This is for the ghoul because I know it's a little far, but at the same time, if you ever wanted to make a trip out there, you can just be like, you know what? Eight of the place called the Haunted House of Hamburgers, which is fucking amazing. <laughs> so the fact that they have a restaurant called that, I love it to death. So, you know, check it out. It's on the Facebook page. You can check out their menu and everything like that on their website. So as we transition into the movie tonight, we're talking about The Purge election year from 2016, directed by James uh, DeMonico. This is your pick, Ghoul. So give us a synopsis, what you thought about it. I'll give you my thoughts, and then we'll kick it off. Well, I mean, it's a Purge movie. No, just kidding. Um, uh, synopsis, synopsis. Okay, Purge. Purge, election night. Uh, taking place, you know, shortly before a presidential election uh, in the universe in which the uh, the Purge, which is the uh, the... the People of our our wonderful country are afforded 12 hours to commit any crime that they want, whether it be thievery, murder, rape, you name it, you are free and clear to do whatever it is you so fucking decide, because somehow they decided this helps the country, like... Because it keeps the population down, helps them make money, and, and all kinds of stuff. I don't know. You need to watch the other fucking Purge movies to understand some of the intricacies of this. Uh, I know this one kind of, uh, it follows one of the characters from Purge Anarchy, which is the second film. It's the Frank Grillo character. I really don't remember much of what he did in that movie, but thankfully you really don't need to see that movie to know what's going on in this movie. Uh, so, so, yes, this one follows a senator running for president who is anti-Purge. She survived a purge attack on her family when she was younger, and, well, she does not believe in the purge at all. She thinks that it needs to stop. It's being abused. It is the wrong thing to do. We actually, believe it or not, should not be allowed to kill, rape, and and do whatever it is that we want for even for just a few hours at at a time, because it is actually, in a very liberal sense, is taking advantage of the poor. But, uh, but yes, so hijinks happen, people get killed, and things, I don't know. This movie comes off as like an action film at times. So, so what did you yeah. think, King? Oh, I mean, I've seen almost all of them in the theater, with the exception of uh, the prequel movie, uh, The First Perch. Um, I love these fucking movies, man. Like, they're just fun. Like, they're just, get that popcorn, get that soda, sit down and watch these movies. It's a lot of death. It's a lot of fun, except for the first one. The first one with Ethan Hawke was kind of like uh, a family in one house, and you're kind of just seeing the attack on their house. Whereas the rest of them are like, we're going to go all the Yeah, home invasion. The rest of the movies are all just kind of like, we're going to go across the city and see what happens. 
let's see what goes on with this one. So we're talking about The Purge Election Year, which is the fourth movie that uh, James DeMonico did. And it, it, it works. Third, isn't it? Because it's Purge, Purge Anarchy, Purge Election Year, then the first Purge. Oh, okay, you might be right. I thought there was a second one in there, so you might be right. Purge Anarchy might have been the second one. I thought that there was one in between there, so I might be wrong. Um, but either way, it's, it's a fun movie. You know, you get these 12 hours of anarchy and people in the streets just running around with their light-up cars and fancy machine guns, as we'll talk about, because those fucking machine guns are just fucking so funny. <laughs> the girls are holding the diamond <laughs> You know, it, I just, I loved it. You know, and talk about Frank Grillo in this fucking movie. And I don't know about you, Ghoul, but that's the fucking guy that should be playing the Punisher. Like, I love John Barenthal, but Frank Grillo, where was his chance to play Frank Cat? Like, well, remember, he could have been the Punisher. He was Crossbones. So Frank Grillo was. was already in the Marvel Universe. He was one of, you know, Captain America's uh, guys for a short period of time. Yep. It turned out to be Hydra. Then he gets fucked up by a grenade, and then they they tip him all of five seconds as crossbones in Civil War (laughs) before killing him. Um, which which Done. sucked, you know, Fucking because I was, I was quite excited at the end of Winter Soldier when you realized he was going to be Crossbones, and I'm like, wow, yep. that's cool. We're going to get, like, an actual Captain America villain for, like, like some real, real Captain America fighting. And you get him at the beginning of fucking Civil War. And I'm like, all right, they're really going to do this. And then it was like, nah, nah, <laughs> yeah. nah. No, he's going to set off an explosion, get lifted up into the air, and then fucking basically get detonated. Yeah. The, king, the king of Wakanda. You know, cool. I can Yeah, I was devastated. Because, yeah, I liked him as Crossbones. But, yeah, even without that, I'm like, why wasn't he not Frank Castle? Like, don't get me wrong. I love Thomas Jane, even though that movie's not that great. You know, and then there was uh, the Punisher Warzone. Uh, eh, it's all right. But, no, I was like, Frank Rillo, he should have been fucking Frank Castle at some point. Well, doesn't he Warzone have your boy, though, in it? Ray, uh, Ray Wise or whatever his name is? Oh, Ray Winston. Ray Wise. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he wasn't bad, but, yeah. I mean, he just, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I preferred Thomas Jane, but John Barenthal, like, he's my Punisher now. So, you know, I can't wait for him to return, hopefully. I know that you had said something about him returning in Phase 5 or Phase 6 uh, of Marvel. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, he's, he's supposed to show up in Phase 5. So, chits are my, my guess is we're going to see him during Daredevil, uh, Reborn, or whatever mm-hmm. the series is going to be called. Yeah. But, uh, obviously, he can pop up in, in any number of things. Uh, so, I think, you know what, honestly, like, and I get what you're saying, man. Frank Grillo, facially, really does kind of <laughs> have, like, that, that look. He looks like he could easily fit the character of Punisher, and, you know, looking at him in, in various things that I've seen him in could easily kind of pull off the Punisher. I think size-wise, oh, yeah. he might be a little small. too small, though. And, like, I think of the yeah. Punisher, and, like, even though I don't even think of Bernthal as being all that, like, physically large, I know he kind of is because he's portrayed that way in other things as well. You know, like, even if you oh, look yeah. at uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, you know what I mean? He's like seen as like an enforcer. Like for me, he was Shane from The Walking Dead. So like I'm always going <laughs> to kind of see him as like almost a brutish character. So transitioning mm-hmm. him right into Frank Castle, right into the Punisher, it's like, yeah, 
He's the Punisher. It totally makes sense. Plus, he's got that fucking nose. He's got that Punisher nose. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, yeah. like, but I think the Punisher from the 80s, the way they used to draw him with that fucking nose, I'm like, dude, look that at that face. He's got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. So we open up the movie with T-Rex playing, you know, even if it is 20th century boy. We get into the distant future of 2022 on Purge Night. And a masked maniac is doing his best Patrick Bateman impression as he explains his Purge Night playlist. <laughs> George Clinton. And I was like, he's just doing Patrick Bateman. He's like, oh, don't you like the Parliament Funkadelic? He's like, well, no. <clears throat> Not if you're killing us, we don't. <laughs> but we sit there, and then we cut to 18 years later, and it's two days before the annual Purge. So now we're roughly in 2040. Um, I'm getting these dates off of Wikipedia because they don't really explain the dates. So Wikipedia said the, the opening took place in 2022 and the future what we're talking about now is 2040. So I'm taking it from there. Fuck it. I don't care. You know, I just put it in my notes. Like, yeah, it tracks. Well, the fan, well, I'm thanking you for explaining that because I'm sitting here now, like, wondering to myself, did I fucking miss dates or something? Like, I don't remember any of that being there. Uh, yeah, again, nope. like I said, unfortunately, this is, like, one of those things that I guess, like, if you are a hardcore Purge fan, you would probably know these things. You know, you would know yeah. specific dates. Date. You would know, like, when the Purge started and all that stuff. I'm, like, a... On the like, I'm more interested in the psychological potential of what can be explored with the Purge series than I am with the actual Purge movies themselves. Because, and like, that's something I I know I never got around to checking out. Was there was a TV series for the Purge as well? Um, It was good. So so I do want to get to that at some point. Uh, Was it good? Yeah, two seasons worth, and it was really fucking good. Like, a lot of good characters, and, yeah, it kind of delved into the Purge. You know, what it is, what it means to people. Uh, the Mucky and I watched it. Yeah, so if you ever get a chance, two seasons, you'll be able to knock it out. Um, nice. But we find out that uh, Charlene Roan, a.k.a. Charlie, was a sole survivor of that cold open Purge night, and she's now become a U.S. senator running for president. She's against the Purge night, looking to put an end to it. The new founding fathers of America who started the annual Purge night have their own candidate, Minister Edwidge Owens, and the view of Rowan is a big threat. How did they deal with the problem? Provoke all immunity for government officials on purge night. Done. And I love the fucking old senator who's like, that fucking cunt. Yeah, we'll get her. Yep. <laughs> I was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> you know, yep, we're going to get that bitch. I was like, all right, calm the fuck down, man. <laughs> it's going to happen. So we see a debate taking place between Owens and Rowan. And we're going to introduce to Will Barnes, head of security for Rome. She could be a woman of the people and wants to be among them, but clearly she needs to be protected against any people that are with the NFFA. Well, I Meanwhile, think the guy that you're, well, here's the thing. The guy that you're talking yeah. about, uh, the one who's like, oh, fucking yeah. cunt, this and that, he's not a senator. He's the president of Is the United not? States. Okay. He's the actual the president? president. Yeah, that's the guy. Dude. He's the one who's getting out of office. And moving aside for this, this next guy to get elected in. So the fact that, like, he, that's him. That's wow. him. the leader of our free country being like, yeah, this fucking cunt's got to go. Fuck this shit. We got to murder these motherfuckers. Yeah, that's why he's sitting at the head of the table at the time. And everybody else is all along the sides of him. Yeah, I just, I never fucking knew that. 
because they never said Mr. President like, or anything like that where you're like, okay, that's the president. Like, you know. Um, no, I just thought it was a fucking senator of the NFFA. <laughs> so, fuck you. <laughs> okay. Well, new knowledge, moving on. So, like I had said, we, we move on to Joe's Deli. Uh, the owner of it, being Joe Dixon, watches a debate on TV with EMT Lenny Rucker and shop assistant Marcos. And I'd like to say this is what happens if Bubba actually survived Vietnam. He moves to Washington and runs up to his own deli, changes his name to Joe. And he has a lot of shrimp on the menu for no apparent reason. <laughs> you know, but instead, uh, we'll see more of them later as their favorite old Irish man who loves pussy. <laughs> I just love that mountain of pussy. And waffles. Like, yeah, you go, he likes waffles <laughs> yeah. and he likes pussy. You know what, man? If I live to be his age, you know, I will probably only Hell be yeah. thinking about those same two things as well. I'll be sitting <laughs> yeah. there thinking about waffles and pussy. Because you know what? Those two things oh. bring me happiness, too. Yeah, I love we would be the fucking Kelsey, the Kelsey Williams in, in anything. Uh, you know, uh, oh, I fucking love him, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and like it's it's he turns up and stuff, and uh, and like it's yep. like it's it's always like unassuming. Like when he turns up and fucking you know uh, the final destination, and I'm like, oh look, it's Paul. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know, after Forrest <laughs> Gump, like look, I get it. You know, Forrest Gump was was a Tom Hanks vehicle. It was Tom Hanks' movie. You know, it's Forrest fucking yep. Gump. I get that, but I expected the Kelsey <laughs> Williamson to come out of that film with a hell of a lot more roles than I ended up seeing him in because he was fucking great as Bubba. Oh, he was so fucking great. Like, every scene he's fucking in, like, when they're going through basic training, he's like, you can make shrimp cocktails, shrimp salad, shrimp sandwiches. You know, he so he was going on and all. on with every fucking possible recipe <laughs> that could be made with shrimp. That scene alone fucking makes that whole movie worth it for me. When they just kept cutting it, he's still going on. Shrimp gumbo, shrimp turkey, shrimp this, shrimp that. I'm like, holy fuck. This motherfucker knows every single recipe that can ever be done with shrimp. Oh, even when he gets he shot me. and he's dying and he's in Forrest's hands, he's like, hey, Forrest, hey, Bubba. I just want to go home. <laughs> God, I love you. Don't die. Don't survive this. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, obviously he doesn't. But uh, So we cut to March 30th, which is the first uh, day before the annual purge. The NFFA press secretary, Tommy Rosalind, is speaking about the purge and that no one is exempt, including government officials. Roan is just going to stay home and ride it out, but just to make her safe, they're going to protect her house, you know, put all the security systems that they can in there. And then we also find out that murder tourists are coming from across different continents just to come and fucking kill people. I love when they're coming in on the airport, like, oh, yeah, we're coming from Norway. We just want to murder. We just want to kill. That's what we're here for. And I'm like, okay. Yes. Good for you. We're the Russians. <laughs> we're here. Nah. We're here to kill you Americans. It's the American way. Yeah, man. Like, uh, you know, we like, love this, the this part, yeah, of me, yeah. this is part of me that's like, this is absurd. Like, okay, I get that the concept itself as a whole is absurd. And, you know, if not for results of the 2016 and then later the 2020 election, I would almost never believe this kind of thing to even be like remotely possible. So again, my, my whole purpose for even fucking picking this was because yesterday was election day in, in, in the great country of America, you know, and then we've got all kinds of, you know, it's midterm elections, it's not a presidential election, so, you know, we only get about 
I don't know, a tiny percentage of our actual voting population to come out because nobody seems to understand that voting for these congressmen and these senators and, and all of these, these, these other smaller seats is more important than the person sitting in the fucking White House, people. Those are the people that are making the decisions and putting shit in play. That is what takes care of everything here. So when you're busy yelling like Joe Biden, it's your fault. No, it's like 27 other people's fucking fault that it happened, and you could have changed that if you only went out yesterday. I see, like, in New York, the fucking governor race, okay? You know, the, 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 yeah. the governor's race was won by, like, I think there was like 10 million votes all together. And there are fucking hundreds of millions of people in New York. Where the fuck were they all? Like, how the fuck is only 10 million votes go down for the fucking governorship? And it, like, blew my fucking mind. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. But whatever, man. So, 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 yes, I would never think any of this kind of shit possible. But, you know, in, in the political climates that we have seen recently... And, and, and with, with wonderful candidates and their, 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 their fucking flavorful things that they like to talk about and enrage people with, uh, could something like this ever happen? Eh, probably not. But let's, let's just play fun and say it did. I still don't think we'd be fucking allowing people to come in from other countries to, to partake. But then again, it all depends on what kind of money they have. So who knows? But I, 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 didn't, I didn't like this particular execution or usage of it, I feel like this whole thing would have actually made its own, if not movie, its own major side story. It's used so fleetingly in this that it's really, there's no purpose to it other than just giving you a quick body count. That's all it is, yeah, and we'll get to that body count. Um, so meanwhile, at the deli, two teenage girls visit and decide they want to get a five-finger discount on the store. Marco sees on the cameras and orders show. He confronts them to give up the stolen candy, but they just mock him. They're like, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, huh? I'll just say you fucking tried to touch me, you sick old fuck. And he's like, okay, whoa, whoa. Like, I did what? And that's when Lainey the EMT shows up, and apparently she's an old badass from back in the day. And they're like, oh, fuck, you're like a legend and shit like that. And she's like, yeah, give up the candy and fucking get out of here. Oh, uh, okay, fine, but you know what? Fuck this shit. She's fucking Pequeño Quiblero, you know, or Pequeño Berto, or whatever the hell she is. <laughs> so we see Barnes overseeing the beef-up security at Roan's house. We have Chief of Staff Cooper and Eric, a fellow member of the security team, walking around. We'll get back to those fucks later. Um, so <clears throat> back at the deli, Joe gets a call and finds out that his purse insurance rate has been raised. He can't afford it anymore. So you know what? I'm just going to have to stay at my deli all night. I can't afford to lock it up. I'm just going to have to protect it. And then we reach purge night 12 minutes before to be accurate. So with everyone in their place, we get the announcement at the beginning at the sound of a siren. Everything will be legal for 22 hours. No police or EMTs will be available until after 7 a.m. But luckily, Lane is with a friend in an ambulance <clears throat> to help out if anybody needs it. So Roan joins Leo Bond and asks him for a drink which he accepts reluctantly, but it's just water. So as they talk, Lenny and friends control the streets, seeing random violence, including a beheading by guillotine, and someone driving around with a bunch of people tied to the hood of their car. A cool set piece, though, really, which I really did like, was seeing the Lincoln Memorial with a bunch of fucking dead bodies on the steps and the letters purge spelled out in the pillars. I was like, that is a fucking cool set piece. 
Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, again, obviously, like you said, the, the first Purge movie was very much like a home invasion type of film. It lays the groundwork for what occurs on Purge Night. You know, I feel like all of the follow-up sequels do a great job of going ham, so to speak. It's like, you know what, look, we already gave you what, like, uh, a single person's experience is like. Now we're going to kind of give you the fucking, the battle royal of the whole thing. We're going to let you see all the chaos that's going on in the streets. All the weird and wild people. And yeah, is it minimized to a degree? Yeah, I I feel like if they were to really do this kind of shit, I think it would be more chaotic. I think there would be more noise. There would be more violence. I don't think it would be as, as simple and quiet as what we I think there would be looting like crazy, and, and then from oh. that looting, you would have people getting killed. Yeah, it's very subdued at the beginning, um, what they see. But then we cut back to Joe's deli, and Joe's on the rooftop, you know, holding vigil, drinking a couple beers. You know, he's ready for whatever happens. He's joined by Marcus, uh, uh, Marcos, and he tells Marcos to just go home. I got this. You know, good night, blue cheese. And what we see is the girl showing back up that tried to steal the candy from the open. And they've showed up in fucking lit up fucking cars, just strip littered with fucking uh, lights, like a Christmas tree. And they all come out of the cars and they're all dressed up in different masks. And they're holding semi-automatic weapons with diamonds all over them, blaring fucking Party in the USA of Miley Cyrus, which I fucking love. <laughs> and ready to fucking take on Joe. We want the fucking candy, old man. We're going to do whatever we have to. And Marcos gets that good shot on the one girl's ears that has the uh, Mickey Mouse hair. And she's like, fuck, fuck. Well, I Hear just me. took care of my parents. Back for you, old man. Yeah, this is, you know, this is like, like it, it's, it's just funny because, you know, it shows that, like, I guess whoever wrote this was like, all right, we need to get... We need to have other people involved with this, but we have a limited cast and a limited amount of people. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know if being that the, you see that these, these girls, you know, that, that come out of their, their super lit car. Now, granted, I know the purge has been going on now for 20 something years at this point in this, in this universe. Um, so, so maybe by now it's like, old hat for people, so they're kind of bored with it, and you know what, you see somebody driving down the fucking road with, like, Christmas lights all over their car, you don't think about it, and and granted, look, I know that these four girls are going to come rolling out of their car with these fucking blinged out machine guns and everything like that, but, you know, for the life of me, I just feel like when when we see later, when it cuts to, like, these big muscle-bound fucking men who want to have sword... Like, like fucking old world sword fights with each other. I feel like those are the guys that are going to be roaming around the fucking streets with like mallets and fucking battle hammers, grabbing chicks like this by the hair and like bashing their skulls against their fucking well-lit vehicle, machine guns or not. Um, the fact that Marcos just takes a warning shot is kind of like, man... You know what? You know she's coming back. You might as well have just taken her out right then and there. If, you, if you're going to fire the shot, you might as well have made it a kill shot. Oh, yeah. I didn't understand why he did just the warning shot against her ear. She's like, I'm coming back, old man. Like, just fucking shoot them all right there. Especially later when we see Joe wielding two fucking pistols. Like, <laughs> like you could have just fucking taken them all out there. They only had, like, four girls. 
But, you know, it's like, oh, obviously they're coming back. So we cut back to Roan's house, and we find out that Chief Cooper and Eric are against them, and they invite a paramilitary team into the house. So they break security. Security details is killed. Leo Barnes is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, and we find out that this is all being led by a man named Carl Kurzinger, who is a fucking Nazi. Like, they all have white power symbols on their military gear, um, and they're coming in to take Roan. But, of course, Barnes doesn't know what that happened. Gives Roan bulletproof vest, they need to go, and they just get through a hatch. They run outside. As they're being gunned down, Barnes gets shot. So, of course, he's not down and out. He's shot in the shoulder, and he sets off a bomb, which blows up the house and kills Chief Cooper and Eric. So at least those people are taken care of. But Danzinger, uh, rather, is still alive. And I'm sorry, but cool. Danzinger, I know he's played by uh, Joe Serpico. Looks like fucking Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall, bro. Dude, I can't do this. I thought it was him at first. I was going, oh, shit. Are we going to get people back tonight? I had to look at the cast list. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I was like, is that Anthony Michael Hall? Okay, it's Joe Serpico. No idea who that yeah, is. I, I was like, dude. Yeah, no, looking at him enough, I was like, oh, all right. It's definitely not him. He's an older actor, than, uh, or at least an older-looking actor than Anthony Michael Hall. Um, but, yeah, they, they could easily, easily pass off from one another. So, yeah, so... When we cut back, we see Barnes uh, running through the streets with Roan, thinking that Minister Owen set up the attack and needs to get out of the city. There's a lot of death and a lot of threats. And then Danzinger, back at Roan, checks out the damage from the explosion, decides to send out his men to capture Roan before the crazies do. Barnes and Roan discover that they're being tracked by a drone made by perjurers and make a run for it, but they end up getting captured by perjurers dressed up as Uncle Sam and Lady Liberty. And that's when Joe and Marcos realize that there's a bunch of shit happening and they need to go do something about it. And again, like you had said, this is the foreigners. These are the foreigners coming in, dressed up like Uncle Sam, George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Lady Liberty. And like, oh, yes, we're going to kill you now because it's the purge. Yeah, we're going to kill you because that's what we do. And we want to spread blood. I'm like, okay. So they're there for that moment until Joe and Marco show up and just shoot them all dead. <laughs> so they're immediately taking the fuck. And it's not even like a fight. There's not a battle. There's no back and forth. It's like, nope, they're just, just taken down completely, really. Just like typical Americans, you know, we, we easily wiped away the foreigners. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's one of those, uh, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, is it that kind of, a, that, I guess that's as anti-Republican as you can get because the Republicans are always telling us that they have the problems with the foreigners. Um, see, see, if you just did what Joe did, you'd be good to go. Uh, and I don't need Joe Biden, people. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like I said, like, it's unfortunate because, like, I feel like this could be something you could explore. This is something that you could work with. You could try to, like, kind of show how, like, all right, like, this whole purge thing was supposed to be such a such an Americanized thing. It was something to really help our economy. It was something to really help our country. You know, however the hell you want to sell it. So if you want to introduce this foreign element, you can at least make that like a, a larger portion of this and, and once again show, you know, like a, a, an almost real world-esque thing of how we 
how a lot of Americans feel like us selling jobs off to, to foreign countries and things like that are negatively affecting our economy and our, our, our people's, um, I, I can't think of the word that I'm thinking of, right? our identity, so to say. You know, mm-hmm. like if, we're, if, we're not, if we're not making anything, then what are we doing? What are we creating as a country other than the chaos and problems for everywhere else? Um, you know, so yeah. I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a weird one, but, but yeah. So we have, uh, you know, Roan and Leo being saved by Joe and Marcos. So they return to the deli to seek kind of refuge where, you know, Roan thanks all of them for doing what they did to save them. They want to patch up Barnes. But, of course, Barnes kind of comes off a little bit racist, you know, when he's talking to Joe and Marcos you know, questioning their, you know, who they are and everything like that. And Joe's like, we just saved you, so you might want to thank us a little bit. And, again, <clears throat> you know, Barnes, a little bit racist, but I think that was kind of the point. Like, he just doesn't trust anybody. I don't think it's a racist thing. I just don't think he trusts anybody. So I think uh, anybody I that think, he comes I yeah. think they were kind of – like, yeah, I, I don't feel like he comes off as racist in it. I think that was more of them trying to give Joe – the identity of I'm a strong black character living in, you know, where I am. I'm an established business owner. Uh, I have been held down by the white man or, or, or by the government for so many years. And this is just another example of how that's going on, you know, and that, that is throughout the whole film, you know, as we find out yeah. that, you know, it's the, it is the, the poor areas, it's the minorities. These, these are the people most affected by the purge because they can't afford the protection. We find out, like you said, Joe, Joe's business, like day, day before the purge, he gets told that his premium is going to go up for his purge coverage yeah. by thousands of yep. dollars which means he can't afford to pay it by the next day. Hence, he's got no coverage, which, you know, anything happens to his store, he's, he's, he's fucked. Um, you know, Even so I think Roman, that's like, it's, it's, it's probably one of those things, too, that it might, like, there may have been plot points cut out of the film that, that worked more the race angle from this character, and it's like some of these lines that got dropped don't feel as effective because overall this part of the story has kind of been minimized. It, 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 it kind of like pressed towards it, but didn't really fully do that. I just, I don't think Barnes is fully on board with Joe to begin with, whether he was black or white or whatever. Like, he just doesn't trust anybody. So when Joe calls up Laney, he's like, you need to get over here the girls are back, and they brought reinforcements, and he's like, who the fuck are you calling now? And he's like, are you going to question me now, boy? <laughs> like, let me just call my girl and have her come over, because the girls are back, and they brought fucking buzzsaws to the fucking store. <laughs> like, they're not fucking around. You know, we need to do something. So, of course, they all arm themselves up, and while Lainey is dealing with a perjurer in the back of her, you know, ambulance, you know, kind of an innocent guy that she wants to help, so she straps him down saying, you're not going anywhere tonight. I love it when she shows up and just mows him the fuck down with the ambulance. She's taking out all the girls in the street and then just grabs a shotgun. She's like, all right, I'm going to end this shit. Well, but again, here's another example of, like, you know, this this movie introducing these characters, and they, they were shown 
as, or at least introduced as being somewhat important. You feel like this whole entire rivalry between Joe and this girl, and like how Lainey came off with this girl, and how this girl said to Lainey when she met her, she's like, you were my hero. You know, Lainey was, I guess, originally like a badass perjurer. She was El Pequeño Puerta, you know, the, the little killer or whatever the hell she is. And, you know, this gets, like, done in an instant. She hits him with the car. She pulls out a fucking gun, blows the one girl's head, like, puts a hole right to her head. Done. Oh, I loved it. See ya. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. Yeah, the, the weed girl with the Mickey Mouse uh, hairstyle. Just gets that fucking shotgun right to the face, and you see the fucking hole in her head. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, he's which, gone. Which, again, like the foreigners, if, like, this was some, like, with the way it was framed, it was like they were going to have a bigger part to play. This was something that would go down the line for at least a little bit. It would make it feel more earned when that fucking uh, hole gets shot through her face, you know? She was the leader. Like, she was the one that was, like, getting everybody together <clears throat> to do this. And then she just gets a shotgun in the face. Like, it felt like... But we also never see, well, we never see her do anything, though, either. That's kind of my problem with it, you know? Like, if we at least had seen her, maybe she tortures... They capture Marcos and torture Marcos a little bit. Maybe we see a scene in which they're, like, killing and fucking up other people on the street. Like, all we know of these girls at this point is she really wants her candy bar... And she's going to do whatever the hell she can to get into that store to get that candy bar. And for that, she gets killed a fucking her hole blown through her face. Yeah, then they have that dialogue where she killed her parents. And I'm like, how are you going to feel about that the next day? <laughs> I got the purchase over. And your parents are there. What are you going to do then? Like, just fucking be like, all right. We'll just get some Who's going to pay for your blinged out guns then, you know? Somebody got <laughs> right? it for her. You know, and that fucking annoying girl. It's Perch Night. You're going to die. I'm like, I hope you're the first one to die. Like, such a useless character that did nothing. <laughs> you know, just standing around in the middle of the street. Um, but after the girls are dead, Joe and the others leave the deli in Laney's ambulance and head to an underground secure triage center as we see a helicopter flying through the night with Danzinger inside. We also find out that the bullet that got lodged into Barn's shoulder is a tracker. So the ambulance gets shot up by the helicopter and Barnes tells Laney to go and meet the overpass, and that's when Barnes realizes that the bullet inside him is a tracker and pulls it out. And I love that sequence when he just grabs a fucking, you know, four steps and he's like fucking pulling it out. Like, that's the Punisher. Like, that's what Frank Castle would do. <laughs> he would just fucking that shit out and be like, yeah, I'm moving on. And they're all looking at him like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> Are you all right? Like, you're fucking yanking that out with no pain. But no, he pulls it out. And that's when we see there's a big fucking fight between the Crips and the Bloods that are happening. So we see the Crips and the Bloods having like a fight club happening. And that's when the Crips see that there's an ambulance nearby and they start shaking it to just get inside. And that's when we find out that Joe might have been a Crip at one point. He's like, I ain't no saint. And he does a little whistle. And he's like, yep, if we're in the right sect, we're going to be okay. And when they open up the ambulance doors, the guy shows up and he's like, hey, man. We're not going to hurt you. We just, you know, need one of our friends to help. For him to do the whistle, he would have had to have been a crip, you know. So it's it's not a matter of whether or not he was. He he definitely was. He's just not in the gang business anymore, you know. But obviously, yeah, he still has, has has his respect. Mm-hmm. So the group eventually arrive at the underground facility <clears throat> that's run by uh, Dante Bishop, who was seen earlier on TV as a staunch opposer to the purge. 
Rome thanks Bishop for his help, but also says that she doesn't agree with his methods. Well, get the purge canceled, and I won't have to do what I do. Fair. If I get elected, no problem. So Joe, Marcos, and Laney decide to go back to Delhi, but if there's any trouble, they'll be coming back to the hideout. Meanwhile, Barnes begins to snoop around at the back room, and he sees people entering, and he gets into a fight with one of Bishop's men. And they discover that Bishop has been planning on killing Owens to put an end to the purge. Rome demands that they put an end to this fucking assassination attempt, but it's only going to make Owens a murderer. So, I mean, it's logical, and she makes a lot of fucking sense. Like, if you kill Owens, the NFFA are just going to be like, he's a martyr for the cause. And, of course, Bishop's like, well, I don't really fucking care because I want to put an end to it either way. Um, but they don't really have time to chat about that because the paramilitary shows up and Barnes calls Laney and tells her to meet them as soon as possible in the street. Yeah, I and mean, again, obviously, like yeah, the, 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 the martyr thing, I do get it. Um, I also think, you know, the, the thing is, is like if, if the whole entire idea is that we want the purge to stop, mm-hmm. you can't use their tactic as a means of stopping it. You know, you can't just say, okay, well, hey, because you know what, we're going to use that very law that they put into play as a means to eliminate this person so that, you know what, then then their candidate's gone. I mean, obviously, they're just going to have another candidate. And they're going to say, well, hey, you know, you wouldn't have been able to exercise that right if not for the purge. So there you go. Um, So, so yeah, I I do appreciate that the the, the film is trying to, to stay true to some story. Here, and that it actually does have a, a, a firm ideology going on within it, you know, not it's it's no longer celebrating the violence of what the purge is it, it's showing us that there is an entire large portion of our population that does not want this, does not believe in it, and that, you know, they, they do have reasons why and whether the ends justify the means which I really did appreciate. Like, of course, I agree with Bishop, you know, about ending the purge, but is killing Owens the right way to go about it? No, it's not. Because the next day, the NFFA are just going to be like, you know what? He died for creating this cause, and it's just not going to work. Um, so when he arrives <clears throat> and picks up Barnes and Rowan with the intent to leave the city, the ambulance is crashed into by Danziger's team, and Rowan is kidnapped. So Barnes, along with Laney, Joe, and Marcos, run after the armored truck to save her, and we see Denzinger and his men gag Roan and take her to the church where Owen is holding his purge night mass. The NFFA plan on sacrificing her. And that's when Barnes decides to meet up with Bishop. Hey, Bishop, I'm here. I'm unarmed. And do you know that guy? And, of course, Joe's like, that guy's going to get himself killed. (laughs) That white boy's going to get himself killed. But Bishop recognizes him and, and asks what he's doing, and that's when he says, well, I know about the secret entrance to the church, so let's fucking go. So they decide to enter the church, and we see that there are more people that are going to be sacrificed. So we have the NFFA having this whole kind of church mass, and we see that there's a guy that's also strapped to the gurney as Rome gets strapped to it, and they put this ceremonial garb on Rome. And, of course, Dan Zucker's like, hey, man, we're only here to deliver her. You don't got to dress her up. Like, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's just go rest and just hang out and press the purge. 
So the men leave, and that's when we see that there is the NFFA's loyalist, James, who's going to be doing tonight's sacrifice of Harmon. So Harmon gets wheeled out, and Owens is like, this guy was an addict, you know, and he's here now. We're going to purge him of all his sins, and this is going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to go with God. And then you have all these fucking old white people going, yes, yes, James, thank you. Go with God. And James gets a chance to stab him to death. And I think he fucking comes at the same time. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he fucking man. He's feeling something. He's got the honor of the first sacrifice, you know. So, so what I've come to surmise from this whole thing is, because we're going to find out that there are other people that they have holed up in a room somewhere. I believe the idea of this mass is, is just like how, you know, how in, in, in Catholic or Christian mass, you know, everybody goes and they, they, they go to, to accept the sacrament of uh, the, the body of Christ. I think they had a person for every single person attending the Mass. Everybody at this Mass was going to kill somebody as a means of showing their solidarity and belief in what the Purge stands for. And it's a scene that made me so fucking uncomfortable to watch. To see these old fucking white people get so fucking excited to see this person get sacrificed. I'm like, this is fucking America. Well, this is, they believe. You know, you have to remember they believe that this is something, and you know, uh, they are obtaining and keeping power by doing this. And you know, as, as the saying goes, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But in their minds, they are justifying this by saying that this is what saved America. You know, remember, in this, in this universe here, America was on the verge of collapse. The entire country was, was down the shithole. And the idea was that the, the purge started as a means of saving that, that world from, from collapsing completely. And, and it had some kind of positive effect. You know, unfortunately, here we are, however many years later, and what we're seeing is, is there still is an unbalance of, of power. You know, the, the people with money, as we saw in the very first Purge movie, you know, the people with money have the ability to have defenses. They have the ability to shore up their homes. They can live in larger houses far away from inner city areas in which they, they would be you know, possibly assaulted. You know, if, if you were to, let's say, hey, I'm an inner city guy with a bunch of guns and, and a gang and everything, it's a struggle just to get out of the inner city to go attack those suburbs. You know, in order to do that, you'd have to really strategize and come together. And the idea is we're going to create so much chaos, so much violence, that, you know, it's, it's those are the people that are going to die, while all of those that they deem the productive people in the world are going to survive. And, you know, sad, sad to say, this is, this is real-world shit that's happening. It's just not happening the way it does in this movie. It's done in other, in other ways in this country, whether it's starving them the fuck out, addicting them to drugs, or taking away their fucking apartments and homes. You know, this, this, this is shit that actually really does go down. So, again, I do give, I give them credit for at least putting out a film series that does approach some of these ideas and makes comments on them. Well, it really does. And it's like we used to joke about when Trump was in office, about how he viewed the, the Purge as a documentary. It's called The Purge. Really good. Ethan Hawke was in it. I think we should do that. 
think we should just clear the streets. Like, you know, I was like, yeah, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> In this day and age, I would not be as surprised if the GOP was like, yeah, we should do that. Um, it's kind of horrifying to think about um, the haves and have-nots. Um, but we see uh, Roan being brought to the stage. And uh, like you had said, the fucking president. Again, no idea, but I guess I'm going to go with it. The president goes up on stage, you know, and he's ready to fucking sacrifice Roan, has a knife against her throat, ready to fucking do it. And that's when Barnes along with Bishop show up with his men to make into the church and have a massive shootout. And while nearly everyone at the attending mass is killed, Owen and Wallace James escape. So under attack by security, Barnes, Marcos, and Laney are saved by Bishop and his men, come running through with their guns, thank God that they're there, and Rones is rescued as Owens is captured. So Bishop still plans on killing him, but Roan, speaking through the door where they have him in a secret bunker, says, come on, guys, don't do it. Don't fucking do it. Like, it's not going to solve anything. If you kill him, he's going to be a martyr. Just let him go. We'll deal with him a different way. And Bishop eventually relents and lets him go. And he says, you better fucking win. And she's like, I promise you I will. Like, dude, I hope you don't lose. <laughs> like, I hope you fucking win. Like, that's hedging your fucking bets. Um but they still have Owen at their capture. And that's when, like you had said, Gould, they see a bunch of captives waiting to be sacrificed. Roan wants to release all of them, but that's when Danzinger's men show up and quickly kill Bishop and his men. I love that Bishop is like, you know what? I got one final fucking move. Like, Barnes, you take over. I got one move in me. And he gets into that car and mows a bunch of Danzinger's men down and then gets shot the fuck up. I felt so bad. <laughs> it's like, oh, Bishop sacrificing himself and then getting shot up in that car. Oh, no, no. Yeah, well, well, Bishop has also been in what? Uh, I think, or he's, was he in all three of the movies at this point? Like, I think he was in the original film, but like, kind of like in the background. It's like somebody that we, we heard about. Um, and then I think yep. he did have a part in, in the second movie. Yeah, he was always an opposer. <clears throat> but this is like his full set uh, in this movie to, to show up and then eventually die. Um, so Danzinger and Barnes in a parking garage get into a hand-to-hand fight, but Barnes just fucking handed it to his Nazi ass with that fucking knife that he has in his hand. Like, I love the fact that he's just like, yeah, fucking stab, stab, stab. <laughs> Danzinger's like, okay, I got <laughs> It's you. a knife fight, baby. <laughs> yeah. He's got that knuckle fucking knife. I'm like, that's a fucking nice weapon, man, because you can get really in deep. And he's just fucking stabbing through his fucking sides and shit like that. So finally, he gives him a Glasgow grin. I mean, it's a short blade. I think that what you're, mm-hmm. the, the good thing about that is, obviously, you're gonna you're not losing your speed, uh, nor is it like yep. uh, throwing you off balance. But it is all about hitting the right points with it. It's not just the depth; it's your location of strikes. You know, you gotta hit the right spot to to really cause the, the proper bleed outs to occur. But it is, it is a fun weapon to watch somebody use properly. And he hit everything. Like, I love that when they showed him stabbing in the side and you see the blood spurt now, like, hey, he's hitting everything. <laughs> he's getting everything. <laughs> Plus, Danziger is trying to fight back. But eventually, Danziger, being weak from all the stabs, falls to his knees, and that when he gets a super kick to the face. And Danziger is dead. <laughs> now, Barnes is like, okay, you know, that guy's out of the way, so what else do we have to do? So we cut to the people that have been marked for sacrifice, and Roan's trying to get them all free, but then we see Psycho James appear, 
and he starts shooting the fucking victims and killing a lot of them until Joe decides to shoot back. But once they get into a shooting fight, Joe gets shot fatally. But he eventually kills James with a fucking bullet to the skull, and that fucking psycho is dead. But not before Joe succumbs slowly to his injuries. I'm like, no, fight, man, fight. You died for Gump. You can't die here. You can't die here. <laughs> you're Joe. You got a deli to run. But no, he's like, Marcos, you're the man who's going to run my deli. I, I got to die here. And Marcos like, you're going to be fine, man. You're going to be fine. Oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> like, Good night, Blue Cheese, as he says in the movie. <laughs> you know, I felt so okay. Bad. So, so, I'm, I'm, you know, as we were talking here, like, I decided just to kind of, like, look at some stuff, right? If I'm reading this correctly, the events of the second Purge film take place 17 years prior to this movie, which means Leo's character is 17 years older than he was in previous film. Oh, but he looks oh, no. exactly the same. That's difficult, but it's only been like two years between the movies, man. Ouch. That's fucking... Yeah, because you're right. Sorry. The Purge Anarchy. He was in that... No, no, you're right. The Purge Anarchy is part two, and he was in that movie, and wow. And it's 2023, Fuck. according to that. Again, according to yeah. that, I'm only going by the Wikipedia on that. Uh, some, something made me look at, at it, so... No, but, yeah, no, they don't really care about ages in this movie, obviously, or timelines, you know, which they try to set up. Like I said, I didn't even know this movie took place in 2040 until I read the Wikipedia page, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, like they don't give years. They just give months. Like, they just give you months and days until the purge, and that's what you get. Um, so, again, the when we end, the scroll says two months later, it's May 26th. And, again, May 26th, you're voting for a president? Isn't that in November? Like, I don't understand why they didn't make it in November, because that's when you vote a president in office. But apparently this election is in May. Well, again, we're, we're dealing in a world in which the, the purge has occurred. So, you know, they, uh, things are different than, than the world we're used to. Elections are in Obviously. May. It, is, it just it threw me off because I was like, okay, but because I forgot that she was running for president for like a minute, and I was like, okay, wait, no, she's running for president. I know it says it, but why are we voting in May? <laughs> it only happens in November. I've never remembered voting in May for president, but okay, it's a purge universe. We could do that. Um, so Roan wins in a landslide victory. I vote every May. <laughs> yeah, I know. I do too, but it's for like the best porn actress, and that's important because <laughs> I always get that thing. Aviator, yeah, baby. That's right. Vote for best anal. I got it. Like, you know, I have to vote every year. They send me those fucking things in the mail. I'm like, I have to. It's my duty as an American. <laughs> so, Rome's first order of business is to end the purge as we see Marcos renovating Joe's deli back to its former glory. We also hear a report on TV that the NSFAA supporters are causing violence across the country in response to Rome's victory. And then we cue David Bowie's I'm Afraid of Americans, I'm Afraid of the World. And I was like, that's a good fucking song and this fucking movie on. <laughs> <laughs> Back when he collaborated with fucking Trent Reznor, I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> like, that's a fucking good movie, a uh, good song to end this fucking movie on because I love that track. But, yeah, it was a great fucking track to end on. But 
overall, I liked it. Uh, like I said last week when you picked it, like The Purge, they're anthology stories, so you don't have to fucking watch the first one. You can just go right to Anarchy or if you go to Election Year or The First Purge or the recent one, Forever Purge. Just go to whatever one you want. They're all just kind of fun, encapsulating movies. Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, it's... Uh... I have still yet to see the first purge or the forever purge. Um, so so those are probably going to be, I, I don't own those two. So I think those will be next on my list, you know? Yeah, I saw both of them in the theater. Um, I don't own them, but I saw them. Um, the forever purge was just a lot of fucking fun. Like it's imagine if they just never stopped and it's taking place in an isolated place, but there's a lot of people like it's, it's pretty fun. Um, so check it out if you get a chance. Uh, the first Purge wasn't bad. It was a prequel. So it was kind of showing you the setup for it and having people actually taking a place in the Purge but also getting paid for it. So if, like, you're poor, you know, they would actually give you a chance to take uh, a part in the Purge, but they would pay you for it. So it would give you, like, um, kind of like contract lenses. give you, like, $100,000. So just put these contact lenses in. We'll give you $100,000 and just kill people and record it. Like, it'll be like a best of hits. So they were giving poor people a chance. So, so wait a minute, though. Did the first purge, like, does that movie actually, is it the first purge? Yeah, it's the first one ever. Okay, so it is the first one ever. All right, I just, yeah, I just wanted to, to be sure. It's the first one ever. So it's like the first ever per like it's a big fucking experiment, um, you know, where they're monitoring how everything's going to work. Like, is it going to work? Is it going to not? Um, so there's a lot that goes into it, and they're offering poor people a chance to make a lot of fucking cash. Like, so if you put these contact lenses in and you videotape yourself killing people, oh, dude, you're going to be fucking rich. So there's a lot of that in there. So, I would be into you know, that <laughs> Check it out. Uh I mean, I had a lot of fun, Ghoul. I don't know about you, but this was a great episode. Um, so next week, we're going to be having the Dean and the Monkey return. Uh, we have the Demonic Dean's film pick of the week next week, which is Bullets of Justice from 2019, directed by Valerie Millev, uh, which oh, is wow. about man monsters after World War II, but it's got Danny Trejo. So there you go. But that is his pick. <laughs> You said bullets of justice. Like, when the dean first said it, like honestly, like the first, I thought you were gonna tell me this was like a 1990s, like made for Cinemax, like movie. You know, it just has that that sound to it. Uh, no, it was actually made in 2017 to be a series, and that never got picked up. So they just ended up making a movie, uh, which involves the aftermath of World War III and an army of half-human, half-pig super soldiers trying to take over the world. And it's up to a group of human rebels to destroy them and liberate humankind. Man, I hate Thank when that you. happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's one of those The Dean just hates us and just wants us to watch a movie. So stay tuned for both of Justice next week when both the monkey and the Dean return. Thank you so much, Cole, for joining me tonight to talk about your pick. And go ahead and sign yourself off. Well, stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. <laughs> and as for me, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Thanking you so much for listening to this episode of the show. We love going retro. We love doing old school. 
We'll probably be doing it again another two weeks, so stay tuned for that. As always, hail Satan, hail yourselves, hail Odorous, keep America strong, watch horror movies, and as always, like the tagline for this movie says, keep talking terror, terrifying. We'll see you next week. <laughs>